This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, we journey to Terry Gilliam's beautiful dreamland slash hellscape, Brazil. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will be joining me to talk about Terry Gilliam's 1985 magnum opus, Brazil. Uh, Brazil is a gorgeous film that smacks you square between the eyes and uh, kind of gives you uh, kind of gives you the willies, but also makes you think, but also makes you laugh, but also has incredible visuals and is also a good head film. And it's kind of all those things. It's, it's like if the wall had a plot and a, and a theme and, and was good. The movie, I mean, not the album, obviously. But anyway, um, we also have a bunch of the fresh shit this week. We're going to be talking about Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman, talking a little bit about some new TV shows, and Chris will continue his deep dive into the bowels of 1970s Disney movies on Disney+, Plus because Chris is a masochist. All right. Um, as always, uh, please share the podcast on your social feeds, rate us on your podcast app of choice, and uh, go to our website for past episodes. Our website is maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, we're at maghuge. Find us on Facebook, we're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Look for us on Instagram, and you can always email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All right, let's get on with the show. Hi! Hello! Hey. Hello, hi! <laughs> hello. Hi! Hello, hello, hello! Hello! Hi! Oh, good lord. Hi. C- can, you, can you hear me? You, hello? I mean, I could until I turned the podcast off because it was so annoying <laughs> when I started playing it. Yeah. But I, thought, I yes. thought a puppet intro was neat. Yeah. With no visual. <laughs> it, it, wasn't, it wasn't you, Eric. It was Chris's babbling. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's all my fault. So, uh, there you have Welcome it. to the show, everybody. This is the Magnus and the Huge Podcast, where eventually we get around to the topic. That's Eric. That's, that's Eric over there. This is Chris. I didn't Hello. know you were going to... That, that's Chris. I didn't know you were going to keep oh, talking I, there. <laughs> Brian's I'm Brian. Like, jump in on the names. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is what, I was trying to... This is yeah, what happens... We're organized yeah, here. This is what happens show. when we, uh, we have time away, because yeah. uh, last week got scuttled by stuff. A super flu... So, Podcasting is hard. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Now, I didn't have like the coronavirus. It was more like Corona light. Okay. <laughs> nice. But you're all better now. Yeah. You're alive. My, my okay. nose is all, uh, you know, stuffy and I'll probably end up hacking things. And, nice. uh, oh, by the way, yeah, Xfinity. I, I had more Milwaukee's beast. By the way, we we oh, switched oh, our oh, Wi-Fi oh. to Xfinity, and they fucked us. So the guy has to come out tomorrow to fix it. So it's it's entirely possible I'll be doing a lot of incredible hulking. <laughs> I'm just saying. Hello, hello. <laughs> For the listeners' benefit, what we just what Chris and I just heard was it's entirely possible doing all, <laughs> and then he just disappeared off the face of the yeah. earth. So, yeah, yeah it's good. this will be good. Uh, again, Incredible podcasting is hard. Don't let anybody Incredible tell you otherwise. <laughs> Comedy <laughs> so welcome is to not the show. Pretty. It is not. I also think because uh, this week we're doing what? Brazil? Terry Gilliam's Brazil? Brazil! <laughs> we're hearts of sadness. Uh, I just think it's funny that we picked this topic to do which is about a movie that got sidetracked and waylaid and otherwise almost never came out. Uh, and then we too encountered the same sorts of problems getting the show together. It's Terry Gilliam's <laughs> fault. It's Terry, it's Gilliam. Terry Gilliam's fault. Yeah. So. I, I, it's our man of La Mancha. Yeah. <laughs> Serendipitous. So, yeah. 
But but before we get to that, we do our segment where we talk about uh, things we've been watching or whatever uh, recently called the fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Uh, I want to hear what Eric has since he's been sick. So who knows what kind of god awful fever dream bullshit he's been watching? <laughs> oh man, I had amazing fever dreams. They were <laughs> awesome. There was one where like the three of us were fighting crime. It was awesome. It was awesome. Really? Yeah, I can't stop saying awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. We were crime fighters in Tempe, Arizona. Only it was Tempe, Arizona, with like big Manhattan style buildings. Anyway. That's getting closer to what Tempe, Arizona looks like. They're rebuilding all of Tempe with like high rises because it's like, you know, real estate and they're trying to build a mini Seattle down there by the university. Well, good for them. Yeah. And when they (laughs) run out of water, joke's on them. Oh boy. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Because it's the desert. It's the desert and it's an armpit. I've been watching uh, uh, Succession. The the oh. hilariously okay mean spirited show on HBO. And for those of us who don't know what this is, enlighten. I am going to do that. Uh, okay, you ever seen Arrested Development? It's exactly like that, except it's 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 grittier. I mean the the characters <laughs> are all exactly represented on Arrested Development. There's a, 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 a father, his wife, uh, three sons, a daughter, and the father runs a great big business, in this case, a, a media company, and all of his kids are trying to make their way in the world despite his sort of incredible <laughs> hooks into their souls. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that uh, if we ever have a pitch meeting for anything, Eric, I want you along because you had me at it's like Arrested Development, but grittier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it's it's a good show. It's it's you know wonderfully mean spirited, uh, and you know Brian Cox is awesome. So I I couldn't bring myself to watch this because the ads just made it look like it was a show about the Trump family. Yeah, there's bits of it. I mean, they're they're New York rich people who are who are dicks. So, and to that extent, yeah. And the son yeah, does yeah. look like okay. uh, Donnie Jr. Well, that's a shame. But it's funny because yeah, so they're it, all failures. They are all bad at what they do, and they're horrible human beings. You can't like anyone in this show. Uh, you're not convincing me. It's not about the Trump family. Yeah. yeah um, no. No. Okay. I can, I, you can draw several allusions to that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So it's worth 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 the watch if you got HBO. Yeah, definitely. Very very good. Uh, yeah. But did it, you do the Watchmen? Very cringeworthy. Then? No, still haven't gotten myself to watch the Watchmen. Okay. Who just, who just, watches the Watchmen? That's the that's the big question. Yeah. People with question. HBO yeah. watch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh. Gosh, that's horrible. <laughs> um, yeah. What else you got? Uh, they will not grow old is a, a documentary that's uh oh, what's his name the lord of the rings guy peter yeah. jackson peter jackson I wanted made. to see this very good very very good uh <laughs> i i thought it was a little overhyped before i saw it and then i saw it and i was like no that's this is exactly perfect it is all is this- world war one file okay, footage yeah. uh and uh voiceovers from the last remaining survivors talking about being in the war and that's it i mean there's there's no narrator explaining context there's no there's nothing that isn't film that was shot during world war one it is terrifying well, and awesome i mean it's it's been massively retouched oh, oh yeah it's been made presentable certainly but in some and some of the footage i think they colorized uh yeah but no it's not what i mean is there aren't like cutaways to a guy sitting in a studio you know or or some historian at cornell going now the thing you need to understand is you know it's it's all just the people who were there and footage of the people being there and it's really powerful it's really good so one of the things I heard was that when they were doing the work on the restoration, they had to contend with the fact that the cameras were hand-cranked. And so 
not only were they at varying frame rates, they were inconsistent within a given shot. So did it still seem herky-jerky, or did they smooth it out? Oh, no, it was very smooth. I mean, you could actually tell that they had done work on that because most so much footage from that time is yeah the reason the reason old films make it look like they're walking really fast is because of that different frame rate running in a modern projector they they made it look right oh they, they oh there is one thing that they they added that was very startling uh sometimes there'd be footage of a group of soldiers and where normally you would just see one of them one of their mouths moving and not know what he's saying. Right. They had voiceover actors add in what that soldier was saying at that moment, which is super creepy because you know, they're, (laughs) they've been dead for this. This is century old footage and there's a guy right there talking. It's. Yeah. But it could be like the bad lip reading guys, right? Oh yeah. Like seagulls stop it now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) that might explain Uh, that might explain that one guy saying why is the penguin wearing a tuxedo (laughs) i don't think somebody in world war one would have said that maybe that's what happened maybe Mm. depends depends on what was in the gas he inhaled Uh, i like snakes (laughs) um (laughs) i i gave a free trial to apple music and uh i really I, i i like that I didn't think I would like a subscription music service, but it's neat because I don't have to buy albums ever again if I stick with this thing. I was listening to Rolling Stone's Exile on Main Street and um, a Colin Meany uh, comedy special. It's just, yeah. But would you pay for it? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, No. I've been paying for it, um, but it it makes so much more sense to pay for it when you can do like the family plan. So like I'm paying for it, but my wife gets it and my kids get it. So there's like you know four of us that that are benefiting from my whatever okay. fifteen bucks. A okay, month. to be clear though, we we were talking about prostitution, right? Were we? I just heard, would you pay for it? And I was like, you know, no, I wouldn't pay for it. And then you started talking about getting hookers for your whole family. And I was like, Jesus, what's happening? Well, you know, they're getting older. We're bored. Right. You know, yeah, you got to keep it fun. Wait a minute. We're talking about Apple Music still, right? No, no. We're we're talking about uh, hookers. Okay. I'm totally lost now. And Apple Music. God damn it. It's it's all the same thing, really. There go 10 more listeners. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have ten listeners. <laughs> We're okay. There go negative ten listeners. That's more like it. Uh, wow. So yeah, that's me. Okay, so Eric, I'm gonna I'm gonna check in with you on this because I thought you told me that you went and saw the gentleman. <gasps> I forgot about that. Since that that has recorded. been a while. I saw the gentleman. Yeah. I didn't talk about the gentleman. I went and saw that this weekend too. Uh, what'd you make of that? Uh, I thought it was a Guy Ritchie film. And Guy Ritchie films are all sort of like comedic spoofs of Guy Ritchie films. I assure you, I assure you what I just said was hilarious. Good, because I was laughing the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> No, I didn't. I didn't realize can you, you couldn't hear me until Chris started so, going. So, um, also went and saw the gentleman this weekend, and yeah, can Guy Ritchie just keep making movies like this? Because this was so much better than just about anything I remember. From I him, highly from doubt that it's better than that King Arthur thing he made. <laughs> I, I highly uh-huh. doubt it. Yeah, no, it's it's significantly better. I didn't think uh, so. Uh, I thought I it was. Just, I thought it was trash. I. I, I thought it was, you know, more Guy Ritchie being Guy Ritchie. Again? God damn it! <laughs> yeah, you God keep dropping it. Every like, time you say something, waiting for it. Every of, time of significance, I keep, it yeah. just dips out. And the funny thing is, I felt weird because I was just kind like of that. repeating. Oh, <laughs> fuck this. Incredible. This is the Incredible Hulk podcast, everybody. Every Guy Ritchie film is a spoof of a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah. I agree. I okay, agree. good. That's the first thing that I said that cut out, uh, okay. and I'm gonna stop. Uh, yeah, I saw that. the I saw the ads for it, and it just nothing about it made me feel compelled to go watch because it's 
I just I don't like his shtick anymore. I don't think it's aged well, and nothing about it suggested that I would enjoy this vehicle. Uh, so I didn't like the ads, but the thing about the ads is that they're misleading, and the reason they're misleading is that the movie has an unreliable narrator, uh, which is Hugh Grant's character. And Hugh Grant is is having a blast well, uh, just being the sleazy little shit um, who narrates the movie. Oh, yeah. The the conceit of this film is, can you hear me? <laughs> the conceit of this film is that most of it is his screenplay pitch to another guy. Oh, right. And okay. so he's writing in right. more interesting things than actually happen. But the, what, what I didn't like about this film is it's full of... Oh, did it happen again? No, okay. no. keep going. It's full of... In, like almost interesting characters who were never fleshed out. So like I wanted to see a story about Matthew McConaughey and the wife, or I wanted to see a story about like all of these people separately, but all we get is five minutes with them. And you realize, you know, nothing about these people that well, bugs that's, me. That's a, that's a typical guy, Richie. Exactly. Though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even his arguably best movie to me is snatch. And that one as well has a lot of underdeveloped shit in it, yeah. but it's so glossy and goofy that it overwhelms you with its good charm. Whereas this one, it, it didn't seem like that would be the case. Oh, I was super charmed by this. I'm I'm bummed you guys you didn't like it, Eric. I, so Charlie Hunnam is like the enforcer for Matthew McConaughey's character, and his whole deal is just he's he's super calm and super confident and super polite and he just he just wants everybody to recognize that if they don't go along with what he says he's gonna fuck them up and could you just not make me do that i'm gonna fuck you up just just look i'm i'm not trying to you know to to steal your phone i'm gonna buy it from you i'll just give you a bunch of money give me the phone no okay fine uzi motherfucker you know but he's just got like this exasperated like eye roll thing about it um Colin Farrell is um, playing Nebishi Colin Farrell uh, in this one, which is a lot of fun. Um, I Colin don't know. Farrell I, was I had awesome a good old time in this. Actually, I loved Colin Farrell. Yeah, he, it's it's him being Irish for once uh, in in a tracksuit with a bunch of kid boxers in tracksuits, and he's got his own sort of side mafia going. And he crosses paths with this actual mafia, and he's just like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want any trouble. <laughs> I don't want any trouble. And he's like, it's like he's a very um, modest, hangback kind of. I don't want any trouble guy who is utterly capable of kicking the living shit out of you, and all of his guys are yeah. too. It's just, again, I want to film just about him, you know. His little crew was was kind of cool. It's like these guys that they're they're like making rap videos at, while they're like going and fucking shit up. So at one point they they break into one of Matthew McConaughey's grow rooms because he's like the weed baron of England or something, and um and they're like messing with the the guards in the grow room, and then they make a video out of it like or to a rap song and like pump up their personalities and put it on their YouTube channel. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this will start a trend. Yeah. Here's here's <laughs> anyway. the thing. I thought it was very well done. Uh, I And I thought it had, it, it was almost like he got lazy uh, with the writing of it because everything that happened in this film should have happened in the first 10 minutes of a better film. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I... Okay. You know, it was just such an easy story. I'm not going to remember it in, in in a couple of months. It it doesn't sound like you do right now. Yeah. Because you forgot that you had seen it. Wow. So wow. there you, you know. go. There, uh, point, okay. point made. Point made. Okay. Chris, talk to us about your fresh shit. Uh, let's see. I think I've uh, mentioned before that I'm rolling through my Disney Plus free trial. Three months, um, and I'm uh, yeah, squeezing every gag. fucking penny. I'm surprised that we I'm don't have a bumper for it. For it. Uh, but I think I found my uh, my '70s Disney kryptonite. Oh, he found it on his own. Everybody, what is yeah. it? Uh, I watched Unidentified Flying Oddball ah, yes. from 1979, uh, and it was it was a, a chore. It was a struggle. And okay. 
tell, tell me this before you get into it. Tell me several movies that everybody else would not want to watch that are better than Unidentified Flying Oddball, because I think you could kind of tell going in what you were doing here. Uh, well, so far I've enjoyed the Apple Dumpling Gang uh, okay. tu- duology. Uh, I've enjoyed Candle Shoe. Uh, I have enjoyed a couple of the uh, Love Bug movies. I have enjoyed uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Have you enjoyed Black Hole? Which one? The Black Hole. Uh, yeah, I've enjoyed that one. Uh, so yeah, pretty much any that I've watched that I didn't think I would have an enjoyable experience with uh, has turned out to be surprising. But unidentified the Witch Mountain movies. I haven't done those yet. That's a hard okay. one because those I actually did watch as a kid, and uh, uh-huh. and I think that's why I'm reluctant now because I actually saw Unidentified Flying Oddball in the theater, and uh, as a kid, and had vague recollections of it. And oh my god, <laughs> I just want to reach back in time and slap my eight year old self because Jesus. Well- what is Unidentified Flying Oddball about? Because I'm sure uh, I, even eight-year-old me didn't see this. Uh, it's basically uh, a space program to go study uh, like deep space. And so they, and this is all in the opening credits. Uh, Dennis Dugan is the actor uh, who who went on to direct stuff like Happy Gilmore and such. Anyway, he is an engineer who uh, builds an android in his likeness uh, to go in this deep space mission. And as you do, yeah, (laughs) as you do, the Android's name is Hermes as one would name that. Uh, And then through some shenanigans, the engineer winds up in the space capsule right before it launches and then lightning strikes and it starts the launch and they can't stop it. So basically this engineer is hurled into space with his look like, like Android uh, then they fall through. Oh, it's a twinsies yeah. movie. And then they fall oh, through like a, a a wormhole time tunnel in space. Uh, like and do. then like you do, and then wind up in medieval times on Earth. But so it it's turns a out it's like in King Arthur's court. Basically, yeah, it's a Yankee in King Arthur's court because they wind up in literal King Arthur's court. Yeah. Uh, and then he becomes one of the knights to help save the kingdom. And blah blah blah. And I they, saw like, this. I saw this in a theater as well. Yeah, it's so fucking I awful. I saw it, it in a drive-through like, theater. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's rough, man. It's rough. Uh, but the one. Wait a minute. You, you so someone took you to the drive-through when you were eight? Yeah, Eric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah in in that... the seventies, uh, parents took kids to drive-through theaters because they hated them. Yeah, because they basically <laughs> oh, okay. wanted you to hear the movie through a little tinny speaker. Right. Uh, that sounds like Eric on a podcast call. Yeah. Uh, and, and they wanted to be able to yell things like, no, you can't have any popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. They wanted to make out at the drive th- drive-in and just make you watch. I don't know or, why like, anyone would bring children to a drive-in. That's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would go to a drive-in personally, but. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Drive-ins well, I are saw, dead for a reason. They suck. Yeah. I saw Gu- I saw Gus in a drive-in in like 1976. That's the Disney movie about the place kicking donkey that yeah. uh, helps a team win the Super Bowl. Uh, Is Gus better than Unidentified oh, Flying Oddball? Yeah, by like a thousand. It's re- Jesus yeah. H Christ. This is this is just an awful, 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 awful movie. Uh, it it just it didn't it didn't have any spark about it. It was just a lot of dribble and it was made for children and that showed uh in all aspects so it's, it's yeah it typifies that period of disney filmmaking though right it just uh, cheap, yeah. quick unthought it, and yeah yeah get out there and make me money kid kind of like roger yeah. corman with a little more <laughs> kid, uh coin yeah it was just it was bad so yeah so that's that currently is the uh the lowest rated uh disney flick that i'm gonna have uh, on this exercise, so we'll see if did you did you sort by rating in, in the app somehow? Or? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> okay. I this is just an internal uh, dialogue that I've got going. You got to do Witch Mountain now. It's, uh, it's got to happen. I probably will. Uh, I will tell you that this is a prelude to, to next week. You can kind of uh, gear up for that. But uh, I am in the midst of watching the entire Herbie, the Love Bug uh, 
what is it now? There's five of them. So Quintology. The Lindsay Lohan one? Yeah, yeah. I have to end with that one, uh, which spans like 1968 to 2006, I think is the full span of those No, I think that, uh, that, that fifth one is, uh, as the French call, a reboot. Could be. I've never seen it. Uh, so we'll, we'll mm-hmm. come back to that next week. So tune in. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I finished season two of sex education on Netflix, which is a charming little English show about a high school kid that, uh, gives sex advice to his, uh, fellow students for money. Cause I watched like the first two episodes of season one and yeah, it seemed very, very cringy. Uh, it it can be. It's still it's very earnest though, so it's it's very charming in its own way. Uh if you stick through it, uh be forewarned that season two is not for the weak of heart because there is a lot of masturbation, there is a lot of gay sex, there is a lot of stuff like that. It's just a, a very frank uh discussion about sexuality. But it's all very cheerful and the only real downer for me is the fact that they just wrap up all of the the storylines where everybody gets along at the end because they've decided not to hold on to their baggage and they talk shit through which is so unreal <laughs> uh, but otherwise it's fun uh, but I like Gillian Anderson as the, the mom, she's good uh, but second season is an improvement just because they actually explore more of the adult characters and you realize that they don't have their shit together any more than the kids do, uh, which is refreshing. That seemed pretty obvious from episode one of season one, but uh, okay. <laughs> well, well the, the, the adults aren't around as much in the first season. Uh, in the second season, you kind of see the messiness that adults make of their own lives and then how the kids think that the adults aren't that messy when in fact they're just as fucked up. So yeah, it's... It's fun. Uh, so if, if you like uh, light, frothy, endearing, charming uh, comedy from the UK. About, about, about gay dudes whacking off. <laughs> yeah. And there, let me tell you, there is a lot of masturbation in the second season. I was, I was stunned. Like the, so it's like, it's like if Big Mouth was a drama. Uh, yeah, Big Mouth had more dram- dramatic elements. That this would be it. Yes, exactly. A dramatic so, show with jacking off. Yeah, dramatically off. jacking off. Yes, shaking hands with the bishop, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I would recommend you stick with it, Brian, if you can, because it's a fun show. All right. Is that it for you then? Yeah, yeah I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna pass the mic. What's up? Okay. Uh, got a few things. Uh, have either of you been watching the final season of The Good Place? I still haven't no. picked it up. Damn it. All right. Waiting for um, the whole thing to be available. It, yeah. The whole thing is available. Watch it. If you've got Hulu, you've probably already lost the first half of the season. Yeah, I went to look for it and it was gone and I went, yeah. ah, fuck. Yeah. Um, no, um, uh, went and saw the season finale, um, so I've seen it all, but I don't want to spoil anything, so we'll just move on. Okay. okay. Um, we'll just pretend that uh, you gave us all the lowdown, and we thank you for your service. The Good Place is a show that has an ending, and they ended it. Um Yay. And they meant to end it, and good for them. More things should end. They didn't, um, they didn't pull, uh, what's his face, J.J. Abrams and the other dude? No, no, they, okay. they have an ending, they have a plan, they okay. end. They sent it okay. to The Good Place. They... I because it's because it's dead. See that that's the illusion. Yes, but maybe it's in the yeah. bad place, and they think it's in the good place. <laughs> yeah, shit. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, nobody knows. <laughs> that's the joy. Yeah. Woo. Heavy so, man. Heavy. Um, Heavy. Okay, I went and saw a quirky indie film made by Tim Robbins's son. Okay. Uh, it is called VH. Yes. Uh, VHS was shot on VHS camcorders. <laughs> God damn it. it right on. <laughs> is just a bunch of random ass shit. Uh, <laughs> okay. It, it is, uh, the conceit is there's like an eight year old boy who gets his hand on a, a camcorder and he realizes he can tape late night television and then watch it when he's awake. Um, and so he like, 
is flipping channels and he's taping over his parents' wedding. <laughs> um, As you do. It, yeah, I mean, it is in a way a movie about climate change and a movie about gay rights and it's it's very much a movie about technology is destroying civilization but it's all told through this sort of Amazon women on the moon farce <laughs> um, so there's like one channel that's showing pornos except they edit out all the sex scenes so it's just really bad acting and <laughs> contrived scenarios and then you know scene deleted um there's a there's another bit where there's a sh- home shopping channel and Thomas Lennon um, is one of the people trying to sell stuff on the home shopping channel. At one point, he's trying to sell a bunch of cocaine baggies, these little tiny Ziploc bags, um, but he's like trying to pass them off as if they're for some other purpose, and they've got like aliens on them and shit. Um, and then there's a there's a Bob Ross take with. Uh, What's her name from uh, Upright Citizens Brigade and uh, Strangers with Candy? Kiri Kinney or something like that. Um, she has a bit called uh, Painting with Joan. She's like the Bob Ross person. And then she's got another public access show called Sleeping with Joan, which is just about, you know, being asleep. So now it's your turn to sleep and I'll I'll watch you. And <laughs> she starts staring so at the camera. If if Eric watches this movie, how do you think he will like it compared to movie forty three? Yeah. I mean it's not it's not as outrageous or goofy or raunchy as movie forty three. Um it's fun, it's goofy, it's it's I think it's funny. I, I laughed a lot. Um but it's a different it's a totally different vibe. Okay. But it's all done on VHS, you say? Yeah. Yeah, shot on VHS. Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon both appear because they're the director's parents. Yeah. Well, you got to get um, some nepotism in there. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I enjoyed it. It's, it's, worth, it's worth a watch when it comes out on... And surely it will be streaming on something instantaneously. Sure. Um, huh. And then, um, finally... A show I watched the first season of is back, although it's back in a completely unrecognizable form. I guess they've decided the show is an anthology now. So Miracle Workers. Oh, the Dark um, Ages one. Yeah. Miracle Workers, the Dark Ages. Uh, same cast, totally different setting, totally different story. It's not... Uh, Steve Buscemi is not God. Uh, Steve... Buscemi is the um, the town shit shoveler. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not necessarily a demotion. This. Not necessarily yeah. a demotion. <laughs> no, we discover this. So um, you know, there's this, uh, our lead female character is talking to all of her friends, and you know, they're after school. What are you gonna do? And it's like, oh, you know, okay, well, hey, my, you know, I'm gonna. My name is Baker. I'm gonna be a baker. Um, my, my name is, you know, whatever. I'm a carpenter. I'm going to be a carpenter. What was the other guy's name? His name is pervert. What do you, what do you do again? Uh, stuff. Um, but, but her name is, is Alexandria shit shoveler and she doesn't, his last name is shit shoveler. Yeah. Okay. So is that, she, uh, is that French? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So she is, you know, obviously being encouraged to join the family trade and she doesn't, want to do that so she decides to go to college and ends up with a worthless degree in student debt and still shoveling shit <laughs> um and then daniel radcliffe is um prince chauncey who is the son of this like warlord guy who's got like sauron's armor <laughs> and he's just this like squish um who he's trying to prove himself to his dad and and I so far one episode in like it better than the first season. I think it's a more entertaining show. Interesting. Ah. Okay. So Miracle Workers, I'm gonna gonna keep watching it. All right. You go. <laughs> and I think we've shuffled all the fresh shit. <laughs> all right. So this week's topic. Um been wanting to do Gilliam for a while and uh honestly where else do you start I mean I guess you could have started with time bandits but I'm not we're starting with uh Brazil Brazil, Brazil. 
perhaps we're entertaining you. Want to sing it? No. no. Uh, I think you just did it for us. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. No drop. That's just you, acapella. No, Suck it. 1985's uh, uh, Brazil. <laughs> I love, love, By the way, do you know that there are like a hundred versions of that song oh, yeah. uh, out there because it's like a standard samba tune uh, and Gilliam plucks like three versions for his soundtrack to kind of yeah. weave into the... In the in the um, special features or something, they they point out that the um, the composer that he hired uh, did not like that song at all. Michael Kamen, yeah, Michael Kamen did not like <laughs> nice. the song, and and Gilliam's like, so just do riffs on that song. And Kamen's like, can I do something original that I can put? No, Fuck no. <laughs> no riff on that song, yeah. and so he had to do it. Yeah. I will tell you that uh, I'm shocked now, years later, that the Frank Sinatra version didn't show up in it, though. That would have made it Is so that Kate more. Bush singing one of those versions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kate Bush sings one. Uh, and, like, Ray Conniff, who's one of those just shitty band leaders from the yeah. 60s, has got a, a version as well. It's like, he's like, yeah. like, yeah, the best choice. Yeah, it's so good, yet so bad. So, yeah. Uh, so a, and if a you get choice this, for this movie, if you get this soundtrack as an uh, as a vinyl album, you've got Brazilian wax. <laughs> Boom! Oh, yeah, that's, wow. that's a that's a yellow card right you there. You wanted to know what I've been doing for the last week and a half? I had a flu. I was <laughs> writing on jokes. That one joke. <laughs> writing, okay. Not even jokes. And, plural. And that one. Paid off. I work in <laughs> so brilliantly. Yeah. Wax. I can just see you workshopping that with your dog in the kitchen. Yeah. Hey, catcher, what do you think about this one? <laughs> <laughs> okay, he needs more work. Don't okay. okay. So, 1985's Brazil is a movie that stars Jonathan Price, um, and he is a guy who is a cog in a very banal and evil and evilly banal machine, and that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Um, but important he, to point out that as it starts, he has found his perfect hidey hole niche. And he doesn't want to be jarred out of it. Yeah. I think it's it's so telling that in the very beginning, he's nobody, he's nothing, and he's fine. Because he gets to yeah. just, like, hang back. And it is, yeah. like, only the moment that he's forced to show a little bit of ambition that his whole life crumbles. Yeah. And basically, a lot of people have compared this movie to 1984. Like, it's a, a satire of 1984. Yeah. Which, to a degree, is true. Uh, but I think, and Gilliam has been on record with this as well. It's it's way more uh, a poke in the eye at the whole idea of just ponderous bureaucracy yeah. that just suffocates everything. He, uh, so he actually was Tom, one of the working titles for the film was 1984 and a half. Yeah, it, you know, <laughs> uh, but then 1984 came out uh, as a film, and he was like, "Oh well, okay, uh, yeah. no." Well, I like the fact that he he said that he had sort of based it loosely on the idea of 1984 but he admitted he had never read 1984 yeah. at the time <laughs> yeah. and this movie is a perfect <laughs> encapsulation of someone who uh thinks they know what 1984 is but has <laughs> never read it <laughs> then you get but this. it's definitely familiar with yeah. the bureaucracy yeah. so tom stoppard did a pass on the screenplay and he talks about um the original plan for the opening shot which is to start in a close-up of a bug and the bug gets killed by a giant machine that is chopping down the tree that the bug is on, which turns out to be a tree in the rainforest. And we follow the wood from this tree as it is shipped and processed and turned into paper and run through a printing press to print a story about a pamphlet about saving the rainforest. Huh. <laughs> yeah, which is perfect. Which is perfect. Which is kind of the whole movie in one shot description. Yeah. Really. So, yeah, it's fun. But it's also... Uh, Ultimately, what Gilliam has described, it's it's Frank Capra meets Franz Kafka. So it's that sort of yep. banal dream world where everything is great. Just underneath is that weird nightmare, just terrorscape that you are always <laughs> afraid you're going to fall into. And you're always teetering on the edge. That's basically what this movie is for, <laughs> for two hours and 30 minutes or whatever. I it's loved just, it. the important. I loved this. I know. I just I loved this film, especially when it came out because it was again one of those first introductions to sort of cynicism for me 
that like, oh, wow, (laughs) every, you know, not everybody thinks this is awesome. And, and yeah, it it was like, it gave me an idea what adulthood would be like. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is a deeply, deeply cynical movie. Yeah. The, The plot of which basically centers around a bug gets stuck in a machine that's printing out the names of people in some office of the giant bureaucracy and changes a name uh, from Tuttle. Buttle to Tuttle, or is it Tuttle to Buttle? Tuttle, but, it, Tuttle I, to Buttle. Not sure how much it matters. Um, and then they end up, you know, capturing and torturing and killing the wrong guy because everybody's just doing their job, man. Yeah. You know, that's everybody. No, the whole thing is that all of the people in this system are just trying to do their job and none of them are actually evil. It is this, the combined effort of a bunch of people who don't care and yeah. don't question it being incredibly evil. Yeah. It, it is definitely about the banality of evil. Uh, the thing I like about the whole movie though, and it's still to this day is probably I'm, I'm always going to go on record and say it's my favorite film uh, just because every time I watch it, I see something new that I didn't see yes. before. And I've seen it uh, like, you know, 30, 40 times, at least by now, uh, something ridiculous. And it's like when you go to work and they make you fill out the, like introduce yourself to everybody. And then they've got the standard question, like what's your favorite movie? And whenever I put Brazil, uh, everybody just sort of scratches their head. Cause they have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's, that to me is the funniest thing about putting it down. <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> yeah. So Brazil is amazing. Yeah. But I think although I, if, the, uh, if the right people did know what Brazil was, they'd say you're fired. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a litmus doing, test. Telling your employer that you like the film that says your employer is slowly killing you and your entire civilization. <laughs> exactly. Well, I remember I'm saying time. I'm just going to do my job and keep my head down, yeah. boss, and I'm not going to ask questions. We're watching well, I, Casablanca today. <laughs> well, I love yeah that they put all of the like the Soviet era type signs everywhere with the sloganeering, but it's like loose talk is noose talk. Suspicion breeds confidence, confidence, which is in fucking uh, Kurtzman's office. The Sam Lowry's boss yeah. <laughs> information dispersal. It's like, dude. And then it's like, uh, don't suspect a friend. Report him. It's just everywhere. Top, no top security holiday camps. Relax <laughs> yeah. in a panic free yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. And they're all just sort of in the background. Like what in the hell? Uh, and then later, the, and this is one that I didn't catch until more recently when I watched it. But when they're in a street scene and these people come by and they're basically running this group called Consumers for Christ. And I fucking <laughs> lost it. I'm like, where did that hide all of this time? I missed that. So if you've seen Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, um, this entire movie looks like the Crimson Permanent Assurance yes. sketch. Yeah. Yes. Um, Actually, the whole thing thematically feels the same. Yeah, it's like it takes place in the same universe yeah. as the Crimson Permanent Assurance. Yeah. Well, that's that's because uh, he sort of did that movie as a test run because uh, he was gearing up. He he had done Time Bandits and everybody flipped their wig and kept giving him scripts. And he said, "No, I'm going to do something that I want that I've written myself." And he and he pitched Brazil. And then while they were prepping that, they did Crimson Permanent Assurance for the front of Meaning of Life. Uh, on the Monty Python and then kind of wiggled out some of the details on all of the, the set design and stuff. So yeah, it's a good precursor. It's a gorgeous film. The other thing that we haven't mentioned is that it's filled with dream sequences. So our, our hero, as it were, uh, he keeps dreaming, um, about finding this, this girl who's been captured by, Demons, I guess we can say demons. Yeah. I don't know. And he is a knight with wings. Yes. <clears throat> and with shiny these armor. effects are, are all practical. They're done actually kind of on the cheap, and they totally hold yeah. up to this day. They're yeah. brilliant practical effects. Well, if you watch it, too, um, it, knowing that the movie budget was like $15 million, uh, which in today's money, that's like maybe $30 million-ish. It's catering. 
Uh, it's just <laughs> astonishing what he squeezed out of that budget for this movie because it looks incredible. It holds up. Yeah. It still holds up. And I love all of the the artistic touches because he's just all over the map. Because for him, this was like, this is just somewhere in the 20th century, but it's just everything colliding into this one entity. So you've got like art deco, you've got Baroque, you've got the Soviet block stuff. It's just got all these weird styles that just commingle and all of the technology is sort of steampunk almost is like wires and cables and shit hanging off. And there's ductwork everywhere. Cause that's how yeah. they get things around from central services, which is like the big, like, Hey, we're going to give you all of your, uh, mod cons and yeah, none of it so, works. And that's an, that's an interesting Gilliam. part of it too, is that Tuttle, the guy who was supposed to be arrested, tortured and killed is, uh, Robert De Niro, who is sort of right. a renegade ductwork fixer because you're only supposed to get <laughs> yeah. the department of ductwork or whatever to do it. But he just department pops of in works. and fixes it. And cause we're yeah. all in this together. Yeah. Department of so Works. Department of Gilliam Works. talks about, about how the production design and the ducts and Tuttle and all of that fit together. First of all, he says that in terms of location, he, he likes to describe it as the it takes place on the Los Angeles slash Belfast border and that <laughs> yeah. it takes place everywhere. Um, that he says in the commentary, he says that everything is designed to be as unnecessarily complicated as possible. Hi there. I want to talk to you about ducts. Do your ducts seem old fashioned? And and yeah, that the two guys who actually do work for for the um, central services, uh, played by Bob Hoskins and some, uh, it's Mario and Luigi. Yeah, uh, basically they show up, um, but they are threatened by efficiency. Like everything they do is about bureaucracy and forms and as many ducks as possible, and they they don't want efficiency. And Tuttle is is their their nemesis in that their, sense. Their bane, yeah. It's pretty funny. I love the fact that De Niro plays a bit part and that wasn't supposed to be the case. Cause basically the guy that produced it with Gilliam Arna Milshon had done King of Comedy and Once Upon a Time in America. And so he just said, Hey Bob, we're doing this movie and we'd love to have you look at it. So he read the script and they said, We'll give you any role you want. And so he chose the one that Michael Palin ended up playing, <laughs> which is, uh, what's his name? Jack Lint, who's the sort of the corporate cog who's super ambitious, but lacks any imagination whatsoever. And Jack Lint, the happy family man <laughs> torturer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. and oh, so when, he, they when, said, well, when he turns in the end and is wearing that mask, I, I, I remember as a kid nearly <laughs> shitting myself. That is oh the scariest God. thing I have ever yeah. seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he doesn't want to look at Sam while he tortures him. Yeah, what's, uh, what's much nastier though is is him pl- talking about torture and playing have his daughter with him in the office. Like it's take your daughter to work day. And he's got like I, this like seven year old girl and he's playing with her and he's I, also just this. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I would I would well at this stage I'll recommend uh, if you're ever interested in this movie as a whole and its genesis. There's a book by a guy named Jack Matthews called The Battle of Brazil. And he basically chronicles the entire ordeal to get this thing not only made, but out. And then the battle that Gilliam had with Universal. But then they do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And I love the fact that Palin and and Gilliam shot that scene, but didn't have the kid or anything. And like put it in the can. And then like a couple of weeks later, they were both like, I think we can do it better. And that's when they said, oh, well, well, let's do the kid. And so if you're like the family man with all this horrible shit going on around in his torture chamber office and the little kid just there and he's having like these Ozzy and Harriet moments with this little girl and then talking about the most horrible, horrible <laughs> things you can do to a human being all in, all in the same scene. It's just so funny yet so dark. Oh. So you kind of alluded to it and um, I have to recommend not just the book but uh, the Criterion Collection – uh, release of Brazil because it Brazil got tied up in all sorts of Hollywood political intrigue. Um, test audiences <laughs> yeah. were kind of repulsed by it, and um, the studio starts to interfere in a big way. And the Criterion Collection actually includes two completely separate cuts of the movie. Yeah. Um, one by 
uh, I guess you'd call it the Sin Scheinberg, the Sid Scheinberg edit. Yeah, love, and the, the other love conquers is all edit, as they call it. Yeah, because Sid Scheinberg had told uh, Terry Gilliam the theme of the movie is love conquers all, and Terry Gilliam said it is really because I just made the whole fucking thing and I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the big the big sticky wicket. Okay, so Universal gives these guys fifteen million dollars. They go make their movie. Uh, and then they bring it in, but there was a writer in the contract, which is something that Arnon Milshan, the producer just agreed to, uh, to get the money, but it had to come in under, uh, like an hour and 12 minutes or something. Two hour, two hours, and yeah, two hours and 12 minutes. minutes. So they had to come in. So the final cut that Gilliam did was like two hours and like 22, 30, 22, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Scheinberg used the the time limit as his out. He said, no, fuck you. We want it cut. And they basically cut out as much as they could. He said, I don't, there's nothing else I can cut. Uh, and so basically a lot of legal wrangling happened. They wouldn't release it. Scheinberg actually recut it with a couple other editors, which became the made for TV version uh, that everybody saw in the late eighties. Uh, and that's the love conquers all version. And they basically cut the entire end like the last 20 minutes, which yeah. is the, the nightmare dreamscape that Sam has right at the end when he's getting lobotomized uh, by his friend, Michael Palin. <laughs> and it's so, just, it is so I, grim. And they cut it all out. I, I do have to kind of criticize Gilliam here a little bit, though, uh, because, okay, he had final cut. He, he had final cut. His only restriction was he had to bring the thing in Two hours and 12 minutes. Do we really think he couldn't have found a way to cut 10 minutes out of that uh, that movie? I expect he could have, but if you read about it in like the Battle of Brazil, which chronicles the whole thing, I think it really became him personifying Sam Lowry in the real world. He basically, the, he saw it as a corporate entity basically squeezing everything good out of his art basically yes and he and was I, and I he was not gonna with that. and he was not gonna go with it he basically says fuck you and that's when it started this huge imbroglio where like gilliam's taking out ads and variety just saying dear sid when you're gonna release my movie love terry uh just right. like total open face out in the public and after he did it he said oh my god what the fuck have i done uh <laughs> well so it got, he knew, it got but, more gorilla than that though yeah. so they were gonna show um they they were doing a thing where they were allowed to show a clip of the movie to film critics and so he showed them a two hour and 22 minute <laughs> clip yeah they cut like Brazil. the they cut the credits at the front and the back and then yeah. called it an audio visual aid <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then the, then he wins, like, Best Picture of the Year from the L.A. Film Critics Society, which is how he's, you know, ultimately doing a guerrilla campaign to get the film released in theaters the yeah. way he wants it. Yeah. And at that point, they were still trying to cut the alternate version. And they were asking him for the, the film reels and stuff while they were doing that, knowing full well that he knew what they were doing. So he basically just sent him all of the outtakes and all of the bullshit <laughs> and didn't catalog <laughs> any of it. And he said, well, here you go. Go ahead. Yeah, do it. <laughs> it's so It was so petty, but so funny at the same time. Uh, but yeah, so the LA critics do their thing. And then that even sparks this weird internecine critics war because the east coast critics in new york are basically like oh those douchebags in la whatever and then they <laughs> wouldn't have anything to do with the movie and so they were scrambling to get the new york film critics on board and doing these like just weird screenings that were haphazard uh and then it kind of came out to mixed reviews and uh after it all was said and done, that was Gilliam telling Sid Scheimer, he's like, this is exactly what I told you would happen. He's like, why did you think that this was going to be a big to-do? And so it's like this tug-of-war back and forth between the filmmaker and the studio that is just insane. It is so insane. But it's David and Goliath, basically, is what it amounts to. There's, there was a great uh, comment on the commentary track of that Criterion Edition collection where the the guy, it, it was a reviewer, who who said what what ultimately is the darker story the story of a man crushed by a corporation in a fiction 
or a real corporation preventing a man from telling a story about a man being crushed by a fictional corporation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. It's weirdly uh, appropriate, like life imitating art, imitating life kind of thing. It's just I, like a, a snake eating its own tail. It's so funny. So, I mean, I think it's not a movie for everybody. It is an uncomfortable watch, right? It is It is yeah. an uncompromising, harsh-ass movie. Yeah, but it's also utterly brilliant, and I think it's I think it's the best Terry Gilliam movie that we're ever going to get. I think it's definitely the most undiluted Terry Gilliam movie you're ever going to get. Uh, that's for sure. Sure. And I love the fact that that his whole ending, they, everybody's like people that watch it for the first time, they go, "It's such a downer ending." But basically, it's Sam Lowry, the the hero finds his dream girl and he's basically been receding further and further into his actual dream as a form of escape from this just crushing bureaucracy and then realizes that he has a chance to actually live his life and so then he sneaks in to the big boss and deletes her in the the system so that he can run away with her and then they get captured by sent the the goons and she's killed. He's put in the torture chamber. In comes Jacqueline, his friend. And then Tuttle, the De Niro character comes in with his, uh, renegades, his terrorists, whatever. And they, his renegade ductwork men. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they, they rescue Sam. And then it starts this whole weird thing that turns out to be this just dark nightmare dream sequence where he just tumbles further and further into this dystopian nightmare and all of his just fears come to reality. And then in the end, you realize that he's just been lobotomized by Jack Lint. And the last line of the movie is, I think we've lost him. I think you're right, sir. And it's just Sam humming that song, Brazil. Yeah. And but it's this, just this haunting thing in this like, so, like nuclear silo. Oh, it's so devastating. But it, to me, I always thought it was a happy ending. Yeah, me too. It's like you, know what I mean? you lost him in that you <laughs> no longer have control of him. He is now free of you. It, whether it's a real freedom in the real world, an external reality, or internally yeah. in his mind, either way, you can't touch him anymore. That's, yeah. that's a positive. Yeah, and I remember the first time I was talking to someone about the movie, the movie who had just seen it, and they were talking about what a downer it is, and I had to tell them that. And they looked at me like I was fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no. I'm like, he literally has, has given them no more way to control him. He's totally in his dream now, and he's free. And it's yeah. like, that's the whole point of this movie, is that you can still be free even if the system crushes you. And it's like this, it's a tightrope, man. It's tightrope. Uh, but years later, I realized that the the thematics of the movie shift depending on where you are in life. Because when I saw it as a kid, so it was about 15 or so when it first came out, and I thought it was just a brilliant poke in the eye to the system, and yeah, fuck you, man. Uh, and then as time progressed, and I watched it more and more, I realized that, oh, shit. <laughs> It's like the system will ultimately crush you, but at least you can find your happy spot. You know just, what I mean? Just go crazy. The important yeah. thing is to go crazy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so fucked up, uh, but so brilliant at the same time. Uh, but I love all of the stuff in it and the cast, too. Uh, like when you watch it, you just start picking out, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. Like he he populates it with all these Catherine character Hellman actors. shows up everywhere in his work, doesn't she? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, I'm I can't remember her in Time Bandits. Was she, she was in that though, wasn't she? She was on the she Titanic. Was, she was the uh, the ogre's wife. Oh, that's right. Uh, and then I can't remember. She was something else in Time Bandits, but she's uh, Sam's mom in this, who yeah. basically is doing uh, plastic surgery to look younger and younger. She, she's in fear and loathing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim Broadbent plays the plastic surgeon, Dr. Jaffe. Uh, Ian Holm, who most might know as Bilbo uh, from the Lord of the Rings, the old mm. Bilbo, uh, is Sam's boss. Bob Hoskins is in it, De Niro, uh, just a whole shit ton of people. <laughs> it's just so so ridiculous on so many levels. I love it. Yeah. So yeah, that's Brazil. Any final thoughts? 
Uh, I don't think we've done it near the justice it deserves no. because uh, it's so dense uh, that it just needs to be watched and yeah. needs to be experienced. I would, I would definitely grab that Criterion collection Brian mentioned, watch the yes. European cut, uh, then watch the Love Conquers All cut, not all in the same night, and then watch them again <laughs> with those commentary tracks because there's just so much information. Yeah. Yeah. I it's, mean, uh, it's hard to talk about Brazil. You kind of have to experience it. Yeah. And, and then when you when yeah, you run across I, I think watching it, though, you really understand what the 80s were like. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Consider that the, the best picture from that year was what? Out of Africa? Yeah. yeah fuck yeah. 85. Fuck 85. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just one of those movies where when you meet someone who's, who has seen it and understands it, you kind of just get that unspoken yeah okay yeah. you're all right yeah. you're all right kid we're all in it together you know what i mean <laughs> we're all in it together yeah uh, all right that's the show everybody uh if you like the show share it on social media feeds uh rate us on your podcast app of choice and uh if you want to check out more episodes go check out our website that's maghuge.com m-a-g-h-u-g-e.com uh, you can also find links there to our Twitter feed. We're at MagHuge. Our Facebook page. We're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. We have an Instagram. And you can email us at MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. See you next time, kids. Now you can sing, Chris. No, no, no.